The Alchemical Tech Revolution is sponsored by Spotify for podcasters. Hi, friends. This is Wayne McCroy, host of the Alchemical Tech Revolution podcast. Spotify for podcasters is now available for use by anyone out there who's interested in producing, monetizing, and distributing their podcast. You can have access to some of the best tools in the industry using Spotify for podcasters. Go to podcasters.spotify.com for more details. Listening to the Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I am your host, Wayne McCroy. Good evening, everyone. Tonight, we're going to talk about electronic mind control. This is a real thing. Uh, for those of you who may not be aware, I'm sure many of you in the audience probably are largely aware that this is an actual thing. And we're just going to go over some of the concepts here that uh, have been discussed about uh, many of these technologies. And uh, we'll be able to actually point out the extent to which these things do exist and what's being done about it and how people are affected by these things. And we're going to get into some of the symptoms that perhaps uh, some of these different technologies can lead to. Uh, so that being the case, tonight we're going to be reading primarily from a document titled Mind Control with Electromagnetic Frequency by Miss Salil Mavis Liu. And she is a sponsor activist of Peace Pink, Yantai, Shandong Province, China. In recent years, the words mind control, abuse, and torture, and targeted individual, appear frequently online. Thousands of people in groups or individually cry attention to the abuses and tortures with electromagnetic mind control technologies through the internet and all other channels. The scale of the ongoing crimes is large and hidden. People are asking for the worldwide attention and an international investigation of enormous human rights violations that are silently taking place worldwide at this moment. And we're going to pause there. That is the introduction here uh, into the paper. And essentially uh, what we see here, we've also seen from many other activists out there calling for an international investigation into the use of these technologies, using them in ways against people and certain groups of people and, and certain individuals. And we do hear the term targeted individuals come up an awful lot with these technologies. And we have seen instances of where this stuff is actually being uh, somewhat uh, admitted to by the mainstream in stories like the events that happened in Cuba at the embassy where they were using these these type of weapons they suspected that there was some kind of an emf weapon being used against these people uh in the embassy there 
And they've kind of confirmed a lot of this within the news media now. Well, here's the thing. These technologies are far older than they would let on, and they're far more advanced in their application than what would be generally accepted today through the mainstream with a lot of this. You know, that being the case, we see, you know, many of these types of uh, papers and stuff like this coming out where people are requesting there be an international investigation into these technologies and the nefarious uses thereof. And there was also uh, recently within the past two years or so, a gentleman named Parza came out with a massive, massive lawsuit internationally and uh, with all this documentation about this type of thing. You can always look that one up as well. I, I have that document here somewhere, but uh, it's a massive document. And it basically outlines all the ways that uh, many of these types of technologies have been implemented against people and how it's a, a gross violation of human rights. It, it certainly is. But let's read on here in the paper and we'll, we'll comment a little more and we'll get into some more specific ideas and stuff here as we go. Abstract. One of the 21st century's greatest violations of human rights is the pro proliferation of mind control technologies and their accompanying abuse and torture. Thousands of innocent victims across the globe have become activists for their freedom. Electromagnetic mind control technologies are weapons which use electromagnetic waves to hijack a person's brain and nervous system and subvert an individual's sense of control over their own thinking, behavior, emotions, or decision-making. This article is a brief introduction to mind control technologies, the grave situation of hidden mind control abuses and tortures, and victims, including Salil Mavis Liu, whose work is to expose mind control technologies and their torturous abuses, and to urge governments worldwide to investigate and halt these egregious violations of human rights. And I'm going to pause there for a moment, folks. Trying to urge governments worldwide to investigate this, this is like asking the fox to investigate the hen house, isn't it? I'm sure this, this woman's intentions are good, right? And many of these people who put these formal requests out uh, into government uh, agencies and stuff like that to investigate these claims and these types of things, although the intentions are probably good, you're going to the wrong place with it. <laughs> like, honestly, by and large, many of them are complicit in the use of these technologies, especially when you get into intelligence agencies and things like that. They're the ones complicit in the use of these technologies. They are certainly aware that they exist, and they certainly know the degree to which they could be abused. So going to these people for help is like going to the fox to get help with the hand house. So, you know... um, like I said, although I think this, this woman's uh, intentions were good, and, and this is actually a very good paper. It gives a good basic overview of some of the technologies that have been made known publicly that are acknowledged. These are the real deal. It's the real thing. It's not conspiracy theory. It's not conjecture. These are real nuts and bolts technologies that do exist and are acknowledged and are out there and can be used in these ways. So that's why I thought it was important to go through this paper here tonight and just lay this out. There's so much more. This, this is just your introductory guide to some of these technologies. This is the 101 class for electronic mind control technologies. These things go much, much deeper, and I'm sure I will be taking a deeper dive into these things at some point. But just to lay down the basics here so people could see what this is and we could lay the foundations and show these are things that really exist right here, right now. We could demonstrate to people who have, may have doubts that this stuff exists and think it's all conspiracy theory or conjecture or something like that. These are things you could point out. There's actual patent numbers and everything here. 
you could give to people if they doubt this stuff exists. It's out there. It's in the public domain. And there it is. But uh, let's, let's read on here. Brief introduction of mind control technologies. Mind control technologies are weapons which use electronic microchip implants, nanotechnologies, microwaves, and or electromagnetic waves to subvert an individual's sense of control over their own thinking, behavior, emotions, or decision-making by attacking the brain and nervous system. The development of these methods and technologies has a long history. Number one. Okay, we're getting into some of the historical weapons of this type that have been used. Number one, Nazi wonder drug. Nazi researchers used concentration camp inmates to test a cocaine-based wonder drug they hoped would enhance the performance of German troops. Hamburg-based criminologist Wolf Kemper believed that the DIX pills were Hitler's last secret development. The so-called experimental DIX started in November of the year 1944 in Sachsenhausen concentration camp. The results of all those tested inspired their initiators to supply DIX drug to the entire Nazi army. However, they failed to launch the mass production of the substance. The Allies' victory at both fronts in winter and spring of and in 1945 resulted in the collapse of the Nazi regime. The absurd dream of the wonder drug was crushed. According to the Want to Know information site, after the end of World War II, German scientists were held in a variety of detainment camps by the Allies. In 1946, President Truman authorized Project Paperclip to exploit German scientists for American research and to deny these intellectual resources to the Soviet Union. Some reports bluntly pointed out that they were ardent Nazis. They were considered so vital to the Cold War effort that they would be brought into the U.S. and Canada. Some of these experts had participated in murderous medical experiments on human subjects at concentration camps. A 1999 report to the Senate and House said between 1945 and 1955, 765 scientists, engineers, and technicians were brought to the U.S. under paperclip and similar programs. And the name of that was Bluebird Report. So we're going to stop right there for a moment. There's many ties with a lot of these technologies back to Nazi Germany. This is talking about what they called this DIX, this wonder drug. And as I recall, having uh, read about this a little bit in the past, I think this was actually like a type of uh, drug that would act very much like methamphetamine in a lot of ways. It would give uh, these these people that took it like extended energy would make them very alert, aware, and they wouldn't sleep, they wouldn't eat, they wouldn't feel the need, they wouldn't be hungry, and they wouldn't be tired. And they would be in this, this state of hypervigilance was what I recall with this. And it, it kind of uh, got their adrenaline rushing like at all times. So it was kind of a short-lived uh, type of a, a solution for things, but it was something that uh, they were exploring heavily because they, they were seeing this as a way to enhance soldiers' performance, lessen their need for food and sleep and these types of things. And a lot of this same type of ideology comes along later uh, when they're studying a lot of these ideas inherent with what they would call super soldier programs, okay? And th these are real things. This is also not conjecture or conspiracy theory. They've actually looked at different aspects of what we would call super soldier programs. And they've found a lot of these same type of drug formulations and technologies and things like that.
when, when they look at these different aspects of things, they're always looking to use these technologies to enhance human performance. And they actually have uh, documents out there that talk about enhancing human performance. And uh, many of the aspects of this have kind of translated over into other aspects of research. Most notably, uh, with the stuff that I've researched, I find that uh, the autism epidemic has much in common with desired traits for super soldiers within a super soldier program. And I've explored this avenue of thought before in other places, and we're not going to go there here tonight. But uh, if anybody's interested in looking at that, uh, the, there's some definite crossovers between those two ideas. And it really makes you wonder what's, what's going on with this prevalence of the autism epidemic today. And, um, you know, how does it relate, perhaps, to some of these ideas, these mind control technologies or these mind control wonder drugs and things of that nature? And remember, when we're talking about technologies, we're, we're not just talking about, uh, say, uh, like, we're primarily covering here electronic mind control technologies. Well, if you're thinking just strictly in terms of, like, mechanical components or something uh, corresponding to this, you're, you're kind of off base because they use biological components as well and very different things than what you would normally construe as being related to EMF fields and stuff like that as well with this. Uh, so that being the case, uh, you know, if you're just thinking in mechanical terms, uh, then you're kind of missing some of the point here. This, this goes all across all the technological fields, okay, bioinformatics, all of that plays a role, a key role in all of this. So even though EMF and electromagnetic frequency is one of the important uh, measures used here and something we could look at heavily, there's other aspects to this too. And this, this all has to do with what's called bioconvergence. And that, that's the big key buzzwords right now within these different fields that look at this like, like DARPA, uh, like the intelligence agencies, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. DARPA. So when we look at this stuff, you see there's many crossover points with different types of technologies that align to do this and accomplish this. But make no doubt about it, electromagnetic frequency plays a huge part in this. But we're looking basically at the history of some of this stuff uh, within this paper. And like I said, it's a well-written paper. It's well-researched and it connects some dots and really goes through a lot of the history of some of the provable aspects of things here. So that first point here the Nazi wonder drug, this is a proven thing, okay? This is mainstream history, right? It's, it, it's noted in mainstream history that they had developed some of these drugs for the Nazi soldiers back towards the end of the war, and they didn't really get to roll it out to the extent that they would have liked uh, because of the ending of the war. But uh, let's continue on here. So point number two, MKUltra, America's Central Intelligence Agency Mind Control Project, the Central Intelligence Agency's factbook states the NSC, the National Security Council, and the CIA were established under the provisions of the National Security Act of 1947. In December 1947, the NSC held its first meeting. James Forrestal, the Secretary of Defense, pushed for the CIA to begin a secret war against the Soviets. Forrestal's initiative led to the execution of psychological warfare operations, or PSYOPs, in Europe. CIA personnel were not opposed to working with Nazi doctors who had proven to be proficient in breaking the mind and rebuilding it. In some cases, military bases were used to hide these covert activities. It was decided that the communist threat was an issue that took priority over constitutional rights. 
One of the areas to be investigated by the CIA was mind control. The CIA's human behavior control program was chiefly motivated by perceived Soviet, Chinese, and North Korean use of mind control techniques. Under the protection of national security, many other branches of the government also took part in the study of this area. The CIA originated its first program in 1950 under the name Bluebird, which in 1951, after Canada and Britain had been included, was changed to Artichoke. MK Ultra officially began in 1953. Technically, it was closed in 1964, but some of its programs remained active under MK Search well into the 70s. In 1973, tipped off about forthcoming investigations, CIA Director Richard Helms ordered the destruction of any MK Ultra records. And I'm going to pause there, folks. This is historical fact. This is proven. MK Ultra did exist. Okay, uh, and this was just one of many mind control programs they had. And the director of the CIA, Richard Helms, uh, went ahead and ordered that the records <laughs> be destroyed prior to uh, the, this whole thing going public. So there were very few files left, and the few files left talked about MK Ultra and some of the other projects such as Bluebird and Artichoke. Uh, but much of the records beyond that were destroyed. Uh, but that doesn't mean these programs didn't exist and there wasn't more to it. And uh, in later years, many of these programs changed over to a program called Monarch. Okay, uh, so uh, among others, that, that's just the one, one that we know of that's, that's become public. And there are other ones uh, that have become public as well. But uh, many of the ones that are still ongoing today, we probably have never heard the name of. Let's be honest about it. A lot of these things go on in secret. And a lot of these uh, are based upon the earlier works shown here. Uh, so much of, you know, the records of MK Ultra were lost, but it definitely existed as a program, and it was a mind control program. And it was based upon these uh, scientific discoveries from earlier scientists within the Nazi programs. Much of these records, even though they were destroyed, it's become a known thing, and everybody out there has probably heard of MK Ultra, or at least some aspect of it, or at least anybody who's ever looked at any conspiracy type of material has heard of MK Ultra, haven't they? So, that being the case, it's a known commodity, and this is what largely what this paper points out, is some of these more well-known commodities here that are proven to have existed and are proven to exist today and many of the technologies that come from these programs. Uh, let's read on here. There is an overwhelming body of evidence that confirm, confirms the existence of MK Ultra. More than 250 people who claim they were victims of brainwashing by America's Central Intelligence Agency were set to win a multi-million dollar legal battle for compensation. Nine already had each received $67,000 compensation from the spy agency, which had admitted to setting up an operation codenamed MKUltra during the Cold War. And the source for this is Mike Parker, CIA's Born Identity Plot MKUltra, from express.co.uk, July 8, 2007. Number three. This is where it gets interesting now. Implantable Electronic Chip Mind Control. Many researchers using nanotechnologies had developed implantable electronic chips that established new nerve connections in parts of the brain that controlled movement or even altered emotion and thought. 
Researchers at the University of Washington had been working on an implantable electronic chip that might help establish new nerve connections in the part of the brain that controlled movement. Their study, to be published in the November 2, 2006 edition of Nature, showed such a device could induce brain changes in monkeys lasting more than a week. And this is cited Layla Gray, tiny electronic chip interacting with the brain, modifies pathways for controlling movement, University of Washington News, October 24th, 2006. So there's that. <laughs> so there's one documentation of the potentiality or possibility of an electronic brain chip that could alter your behaviors or uh, actually take control of your movements. Let's read on. On March 18, 2008, the Central Intelligence Agency responded in writing to a Larson Media Freedom of Information Act request. The document disclosed that the CIA's use of biomedical intellectual property developed at the Alfred Mann Foundation, Second Sight LLC, Advanced Bionics, and under Naval Space Warfare, abbreviated SPAWAR, S-P-A-W-A-R, Contract number N6600106C8005 was, quote, currently and properly classified pursuant to an executive order in the interest of national security, end quote, and applied to the CIA director's statutory obligation to protect from disclosure intelligence sources and methods, end quote. The technology, developed under the DARPA programs of Tony Tether, Colonel Jeffrey Ling, and NIH programs of William Heatdirks, had been protected as a Defense Special Access Program 1, or SAP, which was the official terminology for a black project. The research had resulted in implantable devices that were millimeter and submillimeter in size, could be surreptitiously implanted, and had been fabricated in a manner that the devices could not be detected or localized by clinical, medical, or radio radiology techniques, and provided a shocking amount of surveillance capability regarding a subject's activities, which might include visual and auditory biofeedback data. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. Did you catch all of that? So first of all, this uh, program was funded and developed with DARPA and the NIH, the National Institutes of Health. So they are implicit with a lot of this stuff. So the CDC, the NIH, all of these different organizations, they're involved in some shady dealings here as well. Special access programs, this is where it's at, okay? Uh, you, If you have need to know, you know about it. If you don't have need to know, you're not told a thing about it. And what your level of access to the program would be would be very highly compartmentalized based upon your need to know. So uh, across a lot of these agencies, you need special clearance. And this project uh, still to this day is still classified. Okay, All they did is they acknowledged that this program exists. They didn't give any d details about it other than what's provided here. The rest of it's classified still. So that being the case, <laughs> uh, we, we could see that uh, what goes on in these special access programs is much different than what we're allowed to know on the outside here. So they're talking about very small implantable devices that could potentially hack into your vision and auditory nerves and provide feedback that way, biofeedback. So uh, you could see uh, essentially, uh, what this means is uh, you might end up with a, a device 
in your nervous system that's recording uh, your audio and video experiences and uh, transmitting these elsewhere. <laughs> so uh, that's, a, that's a disturbing idea in and of itself, isn't it? Uh, and this is acknowledged. This, this, is, this exists. Uh, it's a classified program, and we don't know much more beyond that about it. But uh, there it is. And they also say that uh, these implantable devices could be surreptitiously implanted and had been fabricated in a manner that the devices could not be detected or localized by clinical, medical, or radiology technologies. So what are they sticking up your nose with a COVID test, folks? <laughs> what are they putting up there? Let me just ask you that. And remember, this this predates this whole uh, nonsense by uh, about a decade or better, at least, bare minimum, the developments here. So, uh, you know, with that being the case, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? What's really going on with a lot of this? And uh, remember, we live in the era of big data. Data is king. It's the ultimate commodity, and it's what they need in order to implement the systems of control that they want to. It says here, additionally, the devices were capable of delivering testosterone or any other biological agent. <laughs> Did you catch that now? That's just kind of a, an add-to, an add-on here. All right, this next sentence. So, uh, essentially, uh, they could... Um, use these implantable devices to deliver some type of hormone or some type of a, a chemical into your system to induce certain behaviors or, or feelings or emotions or patterns of behavior. This, this could get really, really, really scary, uh, the implications of this. And, and just the simple fact that they acknowledge this technology exists and it's, it's highly classified. And this is developed through DARPA with... in conjunction with the Albert Mann Foundation, Second Sight LLC, Advanced Bionics, and under Naval Space Warfare contract. Naval Space Warfare. Remember that. This predates the whole Space Force idea by more than a decade as well. Uh, the Naval Department has always been involved with what's what we would call, quote-unquote, secret space programs. The Naval Department. All right, and there, there's good reasons for this. But when you're talking about what you would call a secret space program. This would fall under the auspices of a, an organization called the NRO, the National Reconnaissance Office. So that being the case, you could understand there, there might be some connection between the Naval Department and the NRO. The, the next technology here, number four, that the author of this paper hits upon is called voice-to-skull technologies. Artificial microwave voice-to-skull transmission was successfully demonstrated by researcher Dr. Joseph Sharp in 1973, announced at a seminar at the University of Utah in 1974, and in the journal American Psychologist. In March 1975 issue, the article was titled Microwaves and Behavior by Dr. John Justinson in 1975. Going to pause there. So, voice-to-skull technology, all right? Some of us may or may not have heard of this. 1973, folks. So, when you have people hearing voices in their head, are they really hearing voices in their head, or is this somebody harassing them with this technology? And many of what you would call, quote-unquote, targeted individuals claim this very thing. This is a very real technology. And this is one of those that, that's kind of hard to really tell what's what's what with 
because of the nature of it. They could convince somebody that maybe they're going crazy with this technology, especially if they haven't heard of it. And much of this this uh, voice-to-skull technology, the knowledge of this really didn't come out until within the past 10-15 years within the public realm. People weren't really talking about it or didn't really realize it was a thing. Even though it, it's it's published here in the 1970s, it didn't really come to public knowledge all that much. But let's, let's read on here and see what else uh, the author here has to say about this. In 2002, the U.S. Air Force Research Laboratory patented precisely such a device, a non-lethal weapon which includes, number one, a neuroelectromagnetic device which broadcasts sound into the skull of persons or animals by way of pulsed modulated microwave radiation, and number two, a silent sound device which can transmit ultrasound above human hearing into the skull of mammals. Note, the sound modulation might be voice or audio subliminal messages. One application of voice-to-skull use was an electronic scarecrow to frighten birds in the vicinity of airports. So I'm going to pause there. Like I said, very real technologies. This is provable. This is all documented. Uh, so anybody who doubts this stuff, I mean, there's clear, concise documentation of these things. Okay? They, they do exist. This is not woo-woo. Uh, this is not conspiracy theory. This is not, you know, nutty tinfoil hat stuff. These things exist. They've been used. Many aspects of them are still kept secret to this day, within government special access programs operations. Okay? So, that being the case, we could point to these things and tell people, Ta-da! There it is! You don't believe it? Take the time and go look. Instead of calling everybody a wackadoodle who, who talks about this stuff. When you understand there's a very real history to this, and you could trace the lineage and history of it all the way back to Project Paperclip. And even before that, folks, you could go back a long ways before that, too. That's just the, the modern ties within the military-industrial complex here in the Western world. That's where some of these ideas and programs came from, is from these, these different Nazi groups that were recru recruited through Project Paperclip here. And all this stuff was continued... That's another thing. Many people never even heard of Project Paperclip until the last 20 years or so. That's when that really became a more popular thing, where people have heard of it more. Uh, a lot of these things were not known up until just the past couple decades here uh, with the advent of the Internet. So a lot of this stuff was, was hidden from the public, largely. They were mostly unaware of it until... Uh, the advent of the internet here in the internet age. So, uh, you know, many of these, these ideas were kind of considered a little bit more nutty back then when you go back, right? If you were talking about this stuff 20 years ago, they would have thought you were way out there. Whereas today, a lot of people are like, mm, yeah, there might be something to that. Uh, people are a lot more open-minded to this stuff today because they see the state of technology now. Here's the documentation. I mean, this is all public record. It's all well-known. It's all real stuff. Real, provable stuff. And this is just the provable stuff. The stuff that's become public domain, so to say. That's come out to the public domain. Lord only knows what they have still hidden behind the uh, curtain of secrecy, right? Uh, but let's read on here. Number five that she points out, mind-reading technologies. 
A team of world-leading neuroscientists has developed a powerful technique that allowed them to look deep inside a person's brain and to read their intentions before they act. The research broke controversial new ground in scientists' ability to probe people's minds and eavesdrop on their thoughts, ethically to be condemned in its technology and applications. Using the scanner, we could look around the brain for this information and read out something that, from the outside, there is no way you possibly could tell is in there. It is like shining a torch around looking for writing on a wall, said John Dylan Haynes at the Max Planck Institute for Human Cognitive and Brain Sciences in Germany in 2007, who led the study with colleagues at University College London and Oxford University. Going to pause there, folks. Always the same egghead groups involved with this stuff. Oxford, University College in London, um, you know, Max Planck Institute uh, here in the U.S., Columbia University, MIT, uh, Harvard, Princeton, all these uh, Ivy League different types of groups. Uh, you get some classified projects going in there and, and stuff like that, and you get academic grants and stuff being granted. And they look at all these different kinds of things, and they publish on them, and largely the publications don't get public notoriety. Because it's only, uh, you know, people within this select small group of academicians and stuff like that who see this. And, uh, it, you know, depending upon what it's actually on, uh, many of these publications never really go public, per se. It's kept in a, a, a file somewhere with, with different research data by private corporations, subcontracted by government agencies, or by government agencies themselves. But uh, most of the time... A lot of this stuff is held by private corporations because that way it uh, could skirt around the FOIA request. That's why a lot of this is done through subcontractors, especially like a lot of the military work. They, they outsource a lot of their technological programs, special access programs, to uh, third-party companies, private corporations. That way this stuff could be classified as proprietary information, and therefore it's not subject to FOIA request. So Freedom of Information Act request... It, it goes right around that, and that's why a lot of stuff is outsourced in that way. And that also uh, puts up a layer of plausible deniability to different government agencies and intelligence agencies as well. Uh, all they do is they hand out the, the special access funds and uh, dole them out to these different programs and let them handle everything with it. And they, they, they kind of wash their hands of any negative consequence that comes from it. But they also garner the benefits because they, they do have some oversight into these things. And, and this is all done, like I said, through the auspices of special access programs, where you have to have compartmentalized clearances to work on these different things, and uh, your, your knowledge of it is compartmentalized as well. And you only, have, you only know as much about the program as you need to know, as they determine your need to know is. Uh, so that being the case, that's how many of these things operate. Let's read on here, because this, this is interesting. In 2011, neuroscientists at the University of California, Berkeley, put electrodes inside the skulls of brain surgery patients to monitor information from their temporal lobe, which was involved in the processing of speech and images. As the patient listened to someone speaking, a computer program analyzed how the brain processed and reproduced the words that they heard. The scientists believed the technique could also be used to read and report what they were thinking of saying next. In the journal PLOS Biology, that's P-L-O-S Biology, they wrote that it took attempts at mind reading to, quote, a whole new level, end quote. 
Harvard's Buckner won the Alzheimer's Award for Reading Our Minds in 2011. Researchers had shown a capability to read a subject's mind by remotely measuring their brain activity. This technique could even extract information from individuals who were unaware of themselves. Those mind-reading technologies use EEC with decoding of neurological signals remotely, with or without an implant, through satellite or through TV mobile transmission towers. The following data was from NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab. Quote, the sensitivity of our deep space tracking antennas located around the world is truly amazing. The antennas must capture Voyager information from a signal so weak that the power striking the antenna is only 10 exponent to the negative 16 watts, one part in 10 quadrillion. A modern-day electronic digital watch operates at a power level 20 billion times greater than this feeble level, end quote. And I'm going to pause there for a moment. So they're, they're speaking gobbledygook NASA garbage here, right, because they're talking, well, we have to receive the, the, the impossible-to-receive signal from the Voyager spacecraft that's way out beyond skirts of our solar system. So in order to pick up the signal it's got to be so ultra sensitive well <laughs> i would say that's that's probably nonsensical folks uh but uh at any rate uh, the the true use of these technologies is right here isn't it tv mobile transmission towers right they could read your thoughts through these that's that's essentially what this is saying here let's read on Scientists believed the weak radio emission of a cubic centimeter of brain matter was within the detectable limits of the satellite. It was technically possible for a satellite to detect your thoughts, emotions, and perceptions and pass that information to a computer for interpretation. <laughs> so, let's pause right there. That's the end of that little section here. So they're claiming... They could read your thoughts via satellite now, folks. Using these different television and antennas and mobile transmission tower antennas, uh, they could uplink to satellites, and these satellites can, can uh, read the telemetry of your brain. So they could read your thoughts. That's what they're claiming with satellite technology and with these antenna arrays. Well, what are all these mobile towers for? Think about that. These platforms are so multi-use, it's, it's unbelievable. It's called dual-use technology, all right? So we use it in the civilian sector for its many different wonderful benefits. But all these technologies have been thoroughly tested through the military-industrial complex first, and they've all been weaponized in one way, shape, or form, and they all have different programs piggybacked on them. Uh, they, they have back doors built in for the intelligence agencies and the military-industrial complex, all of these technologies, and they have different uses. They, they're, they're what's called dual use, okay? So we use them in the public sector for one thing, and within the auspices of the military-industrial complex, complex special access programs and these various uh, intelligence agencies they use them for something very different so there's a a piggybacked use on all of these things and could this be what uh, much of this cell phone technology and stuff is all here for uh, are they using it to read our thoughts well i don't know they, they claim here it's possible uh, back in this study in 2007 they or this other one in 2011 they figured out portions of how to do this remotely, okay? They, they don't even need anything invasive to do this. So that being the case, they could use existing technological infrastructure 
to do this, to read your thought waves, your thought patterns. And they've gone ahead and they've, they've tried to model some of these things so that they know what they're looking at. And they could tell what you're going to think next. That's what the claim was here. But let's read on, because this gets more interesting now. Number six, patents of mind control technologies. Many patents had indicated the existence of mind control technologies, such as United States patent number 6,729,337, May 4, 2004. Sony owned a patent, Sony Brainwaves, manipulation by ultrasound for an ultrasound array that supposedly stimulated your brainwaves to simulate sensory experiences causing its users to experience smells, tastes, and even touch without external stimuli. That was, pat- that was patented by Sony, folks. Sony. Think about that. I'll read that number again. 6729337. U.S. patent 6729337. May 4th, 2004. Sony patent. Sony brainwaves manipulation by ultrasound. And ostensibly use this to make you experience smells, tastes, and even touch. Even tactile sensations without any external stimuli. And so that's concerning in and of itself, isn't it? Uh, here's another one. Here's U.S. patent number 6488617, December 3rd, 2002. Nervous system manipulation by EM fields from monitors. And this one, folks, <laughs> this one um, I think has made the rounds a little more than that Sony one that we just mentioned. Uh, But this one, essentially, if you're looking at your computer screen or your television screen, well, it could potentially manipulate your nervous system with the EM fields, the electromagnetic fields, the frequency fields, through your monitor, through the television, through the phone, the television screen, the the telephone screen, uh, the the screen on your computer. Uh, It could manipulate your nervous system, folks. This is a a demonstrated technology. And there's the patent number right there. I'll read the number again. 6488617, December 3rd, 2002. So these things exist. Uh, they demonstrably and irrefutably do exist. So if there's anybody out there you know that would be in denial about something like this, well, there it is. I mean, you, you don't get a patent for this if it's not a real thing, okay? Uh, if you can't prove the, the concept to the patent office that there there might be something feasible there, they're not going to grant the patent for it. What more could we say about that? But let's move on. Number seven, more evidence to prove the existence of mind control technologies. There is sufficient evidence to prove the existence of mind control technologies. I will only give a few as an example. Microwave irradiation of the U.S. Embassy in Moscow. Review of its history and studies to determine whether or not related health defects were experienced by employees assigned in the period 1953 to 1977, prepared at the request of Howard W. Cannon, Chairman, Committee on Commerce, Science and Transportation, United States Senate, published in 1979 by U.S. Government Printing Office in Washington, disclosed that since 1952, the Soviet government began directing microwave beams at the U.S. Embassy in Moscow. And I'm going to pause there, folks. This relates to something that's called the Russian woodpecker. If you want to look up Russian woodpecker, look this up. This was a an e- electromagnetic signal that went out uh, that was detected, and th- this is this is a recorded thing. This is well known, well documented, well established. 
And this is what they believe was affecting the minds of those in the embassy in Moscow. This was a real thing that was recorded and investigated by the U.S. intelligence agencies. It's called the the Russian woodpecker. Look it up. Uh, That's that's just another aspect of this thing. Uh, But let's read on. A study funded by the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency has perfected the art of using electrical signals to manipulate the color of a squid's iridescent skin over the entire color spectrum. The Marine Biological Laboratory in Massachusetts carried out the research. If they could manipulate animals, they could manipulate humans, too. Next, a former KGB officer has divulged secrets of special mind control techniques that security services in developed nations used during and after the Cold War, a Russian government daily said in December 2006. All right, I'm going to pause there. So these last two are kind of uh, not exactly what you would call ironclad proofs, okay, just because you have maybe somebody that claims to be a former KGB officer talking about something that doesn't necessarily make it true. Uh, and uh, the uh, the study about uh, the the squid uh, skin color being affected that doesn't necessarily uh, mean anything either as far as as you know general proofs for mind control technologies. But uh, let's let's see what else she has to say here. So maybe she does have a couple weak examples in here uh, that aren't necessarily so ironclad as being provable like the the previous ones she had listed. But let's read on. General Boris Ratnikov, who served in the KGB department for Moscow and the Moscow region, told Rosikazagazvita, I can't even pronounce that, that people in power had resorted to various methods of manipulating individuals' thoughts since ancient times, and that it was hardly surprising that secret services adopted the practice when it acquired a scientific foundation in the 20th century. And I'm going to pause there. I'm not going to disagree with that. It's it's kind of provably uh, demonstrable if you go back and you research things like secret societies and the ancient mystery schools. This was all about mind control techniques at play within these groups. And, you know, uh, upon the public at large from these groups. Uh, so this is not something that I would dispute. I think the guy is absolutely correct when he says that. And, you know, certainly what's changed today? Well, now we have uh, these other technologies that we could use to enhance these methodologies that were developed by the ancient mystery schools and the the secret brotherhoods through uh, the ages. But let's read on here. In the mid-80s, about 50 research institutes in the Soviet Union studied remote mind control techniques backed by substantial government funding, but all such research efforts were halted with the demise of the Soviet Empire in the early 90s. Ratnikov, who subsequently served as deputy head and then senior consultant at the Federal Guard Service from 1991 to 1997, said his department was in charge of safeguarding top officials in post-Soviet Russia, against any external influence on their subconscious. The general stated emphatically that he and his colleagues had never manipulated the minds of the then-president Boris Yeltsin or of economic reformer Yegor Gador, but claimed to have used mind-reading to save Russia's first president and the country from a war with China. So I'm going to pause there. So that's an interesting turn of events. They claim to have used mind control technologies on one of their presidents to uh, avert war with China. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> so is is there truth to this claim? Who knows? 
but uh, let's let's read on. Yeltsin had planned to visit Japan in 1992, but Ratnikov's department detected attempts to program the president's mind to make him give the Kuril Islands back to Japan. The move would have led to demands from China that it regains its disputed territories from Russia as well, a conflict that could have sparked a war between the two neighbors. Yeltsin, therefore, was forced to cancel the trip. Another of the general's revelations is that senior officials in Western Europe and the United States unwittingly provided information to his department, which was able to read their minds thanks to Soviet-era scientific achievements. In the early 90s, Ratnikov and his colleagues scanned the mind of new U.S. Ambassador Robert Strauss to see what the embassy building contained equipment to exert psycho... Sorry to see that the embassy building contained equipment to exert psychotronic influence on Moscow residents, but according to the general, it had been deactivated. So uh, I'm going to pause there. So is a lot of this, is this true? Is what this guy's saying here, is his testimony true? Who could say? All right. It could be just disinformation campaigns to uh, make people believe that maybe the Soviets have this type of technology. Or maybe there's something to it, or maybe there's nothing to it. It's hard to say uh, when you have somebody that, you know, is uh, designated and known to be KGB. Well, you know, that's about the same as somebody that's CIA. Could you trust what they tell you? Well, not really, right? <laughs> so uh, that that's the nature of disinformation, especially something with a, a classified technology field or something like that that comes forward. Uh, a lot of times you have to really be skeptical of these claims and these things. Uh, so, you know, that being said, is there truth to it? Maybe, but maybe not. But let's read on and see what else uh, that the author of this paper has to say, because it seems like she spent a lot of time talking about this Russian fellow. But uh, let's read on. Research into electromagnetic spectrum's weapons had been secretly carried out in the U.S. and Russia since the 50s. Plans to introduce the superweapons were announced quietly in March 2012 by Russian Defense Minister Anatoly Serdyakov. Fulfilling a little-noticed election campaign pledged by President-elect Putin... Mr. Serdyukov said the development of weaponry based on new physics principles, direct energy weapons, geophysical weapons, wave energy weapons, genetic weapons, psychotronic weapons, and so on, is part of the state arms procurement program for 2011 to 2020. There was no doubt that, notwithstanding that governments still covered up the development and research of mind control technologies, the government owned advanced technologies which could read mankind's thoughts remotely and subvert an individual's sense of control over their own thinking, behavior, emotions, or decision making by attacking the brain and nervous system with electromagnetic frequencies. And I'm going to pause there. I certainly think that's a feasible thing, don't you? Especially when you talk about. Uh, you know, installing all this 5G infrastructure during the middle of what's called a pandemic, right? What they call or claim is a pandemic, but yet they still roll out all this new infrastructure. What would be the reasoning for that? Hmm. Gotta wonder, because I, I don't know about you, but I'm highly unimpressed with uh, the performance of 5G and the way that they promised it would deliver. It doesn't. It's worse than 4G. 
Uh, that's been my experience anyway. As early as 1998, scientists had warned that the control and manipulation of a human brain was a terrifying possibility. Lieutenant Colonel Timothy L. Thomas, U.S. Army, retired, published an article in the military journal Parameters, which likened the mind to a new battlefield. He quoted a Russian army major in relation to weapons that affected the mind. Quote, it is completely clear that the state, which is first to create such weapons, will achieve incomparable superiority. End quote. Thomas expressed concern about quote, information dominance, end quote, though he stopped short of the moral implications, and that was Timothy L. Thomas, The Mind Has No Firewall, Parameters, Spring 1998, pages 84 to 92. So I'm going to pause there. So there's some real documentation, folks, right there. Uh, you, you could actually look up this article about the things this gentleman talked about. And uh, that being the case, you know, these implications of that mind control technology is indeed real. For those who doubt it, there's all kinds of documentation out there. And you could just point them in these different directions. There's a lot of it. A lot of it. Let's read on. Mr. Peter Phillips, Lou Brown, and Bridget Thornton raised high concerns of human rights violations implemented with electromagnetic spectrum's weapons in the article U.S. Electromagnetic Weapons and Human Rights. And that one was uh, written here, U.S. Electromagnetic Weapons and Human Rights, December 2006. Uh, Carol Smith, a British psychoanalyst in recent years, has been openly critical of government use of intrusive technology on non-consenting citizens in the article Diagnosis Psychosis in Light of Mind Invasion Technology on the Need for New Criteria of Diagnosis of Psychosis in the Light of Mind Invasive Technology. The European Parliament, paragraph A4-0005-1999, paragraph 27, called for a worldwide ban on weapons that might enable any form of the manipulation of human beings. Uh, so that's, that's an interesting documentation right there. Uh, that's European Parliament, okay, 1999. A ban on weapons that would enable any form of manipulation of human beings. Well, I guess that would shut down the media, wouldn't it? <laughs> so you see how useful that legislation was, right? Uh, let, let's read on. USA Representative Dennis Kucinich introduced Bill H.R. 2977 in 2001, which was referred to the Committee on Science and in addition to the Committees on Armed Services and International Relations for a period to be subsequently determined by the Speaker, in each case for consideration of such provisions as fall within the jurisdiction of the Committee Concerned. H.R. 2977 of 2001 preserved the cooperative, peaceful use uses of space for the benefit of all humankind by permanently prohibiting the basing of weapons in space by the United States and required the president to take action to adopt and implement a world treaty banning space-based weapons. In this bill, the terms weapon and weapon system included a device capable of the following, quote, directing a source of energy, including molecular or atomic energy, subatomic particle beams, electromagnetic radiation, plasma, or extremely low frequency, ELF, or ultra-low frequency ULF energy radiation against that object, end quote. 
quote, through the use of land-based, sea-based, or space-based systems using radiation, electromagnetic, psychotronic, sonic, laser, or other energies directed at individual persons or targeted populations for the purpose of information war, mood management, or mind control of such persons or populations, end quote. All right, so I'm going to pause for a moment there. This is also the same bill in which Dennis Kucinich acknowledged the existence of chemtrails as a weapon system. Same bill. All right, and he's largely uh, gotten a lot of flack for this, and I don't think it ever got passed, uh, to be honest. He, he's, he took a lot of flack for this. He kind of got blackballed by the Congress. His political career kind of took a downswing after that. But uh, let's read on here. The United Nations Institute for Disarmament Research formally listed a special category of psychotronic, mind control, and other electromagnetic resonance weapons in their 2002 Media Guide to Disarmament. Reported stories about people who claimed that they were mind control victims. Let's read some of these claims here now that she goes into. There are many reported stories about people who have claimed that they were tortured and harassed by remote voice-to-skull and electromagnetic mind-control technologies. Most of the public, including media, labeled them as conspiracy theorists or mentally ill persons. Their stories were regarded as conspiracy work. In the days and weeks before authorities say he shot three people at the Florida State University Library and was then gunned down by Tallahassee police, Myron May posted a video about mind control to Facebook and earlier an image of a Google business card with the words targeted individual. He also posted a video of former professional wrestler and Minnesota Governor Jesse Ventura interviewing a man who claims to have created technology that allows the federal government to control people's minds. Jimmy Shaw of Sacramento, California was arrested for calling 911 more than 100 times in one month in May 2013. Shao said he would st- not stop until Congress investigates the shadow government who uses satellites to control his mind and body. Jared Lochner, 23, who accused of shooting a U.S. congresswoman in Arizona and killing six others on January 8, 2011, claimed that he was being mind-controlled. Fayette woman Angela Modispa claimed she heard voices telling her to kill her mother in 2009. Another suspected victim, Honduras's fallen leader, told the Miami Herald he was being subjected to mind-altering gas and radiation and that Israeli mercenaries are planning to assassinate him. Ronald Morgan, 18, a teenage high school dropout who told investigators he was acting on God's orders, confessed to beating his father to death with a baseball bat on May 27, 2001. Morgan said God had told him in a dream to kill his parents. Michael Robert Lawrence, accused of murdering a vacuum cleaner salesman in Wailua, said he was on a mission to kill people and chop up their bodies after voices commanded him to do so. A psychiatrist testified on April 3, 2001. Richard Scott Bonhammers, 34, was arrested Friday, April 28, 2000, following a shooting rampage that left five dead and one seriously injured in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. Bonhammers told a psychiatrist that he could hear people talking about him and it interfered with his work. Solomon, 15, allegedly opened fire on other students at Heritage High School on August 10, 1999. He heard voices telling him to do strange things, but they were robotic voices, not human voices. 
Tammy Stainfield is a, a woman with evidence that proves she and others are victims of predictive analytics, robotics, and human logistics. She claimed that, quote, we are tortured, hostages, and slaves to a network of technology void from identification and protection, end quote. She had filed as a no-party candidate in 2012 for the presidency of the United States. There's only a couple more here, folks, and then we'll get into some more data here. That's important. On February 28, 2011, many mind control victims provided statements to Presidential Commission for the study of bioethical issues on meeting in Washington, D.C. These were only a few, a very few, reported stories from many victims all over the world. The majority of victim stories had been ignored by the media and the public. Current data about mind control victims. Let's look into this here. Current data about mind control victims. Since 2006, many people who claimed to be mind control victims started connecting through the internet, working together to write countless letters to government departments, social communities, human rights organizations, the media, and the general public. Some victims organized some demonstrations in their countries and filed their lawsuits. Some victims organized meetings to meet together to discuss how to fight well. Uh, some victims placed advertisements in major newspapers. Victims also launched worldwide conference calls. Mind control abuse and torture is becoming a larger issue worldwide. So far, USA, Europe, and China are the most impacted areas. At least more than 2,000 victims in each of these areas have complained about being attacked by voice-to-skull and electromagnetic mind-control technologies. There are also many victims in other countries, including over 200 in Russia, over 100 in India, and over 100 in Japan. And I'm going to pause there, folks. I would say these are very low-ball numbers, okay? These are very low-ball numbers. There are more individuals that claim to be targeted individuals than what uh, this document here is claiming. And I don't quite recall what the date of the writing of this document was. I think it was 2015 or 2016 uh, that she produced this document. But uh, I suspect the numbers are much larger than what she's claiming here. This is a very low-ball number for this. There are many, many people who would claim that they've been under the influence of mind control technologies of some sort. Probably a vast, larger amount of people than just 2,000 in the U.S. I would say that's probably a safe guess to say there's more than that. But anyway, let's read on. According to an anonymous survey, the result on December 19, 2009, for 296 mind control victims all over the world, including 130 females and 166 males, 71.29% of all victims had completed a college degree, with 13.86% of all victims attaining a master or doctorate degree. Their ages were 10 to 20, 13, 21 to 30, 64, 31 to 40, 87, 41 to 50, 70, 51 to 60, 42, 61 to 70, 15, above 70, only 5. And then it goes on with some other statistics. It says the year the torture began, between 1970 and 1980, 29. Between 81 and 1990, 40. Between 91 and 95, 34. 1996, 18. 1997, 5. 1998, 11. 99, 6. The year 2016, 2001, 17. 2002, 15. 
Uh, and it looks like they're all within the teens, or in 2008 there was 23, and that's as high as this goes. Uh, so it looks like the, the vast majority are claiming to have happened within the uh, 1990s, right? Between the 1980s and the 1990s is when uh, a lot of this really took hold, uh, where these people believed they were being targeted as such. And it gives the ages at which they, they believe they were targeted. This statistical data, I think, is important if you were going to scientifically study this phenomenon to try to see just who the victims of electronic mind control or harassment and stuff are, that the different uh, demographics of them. So that that's kind of what's been presented here with all of that. And she also gives some other different factors here. The possible reasons victims believed they became a target were, number one, Government secret human experiments or scientists performing secret human experiments supported by government, and that's 58.11% believe that. Scientists performing secret human experiment, 36.82%. Government secret war, 33.45%. Secret political persecution, 32.77%. Terrorist violence, 22.97%. Misuse of weapons by government corporation, 45.27%. Uh, so you could see there that uh, a large uh, proportion of these people would tend to indicate or think that they had been targeted uh, by some kind of a secret scientific experimentation program sponsored by government, right? Uh, that's, that's the whole implication you could get here. Now that's the interesting part, okay? Because here's a list of 45 symptoms that were experienced by the victims of these possible weapons. So let's read some of them. So symptoms victims experienced as a possible result of this technology. Number one, hot and cold flashes. Number two, nausea. Number three, severe sweating. Induced sleep. Sleep deprivation. Extreme fatigue. Blurred vision. Sensations of pain in internal organs. Sensations of pain in the backbone, arms, legs, and muscles. Numbness and tingling, paresthesis, loss of sensation, muscle cramps, spasms, or tension, sudden headaches, irregular heartbeat, false heart attacks, tooth pain, diarrhea, acute inflammation, autoimmunity reactions, autoimmune disorders like fibromyalgia, urinary tract infections, skin problems and skin irritations, change in growing of hair and nails, Female problems, which eventually lead to hysterectomy, cancer, fevers, flu-like symptoms or sneezing, dizziness or loss of balance, sudden loss of consciousness, benign or malignant tumors, sensation of electric current running through the body, induced thoughts, telepathic communication or messages, hearing voices, reception of auditory acoustic weapon transmissions or similar, Seeing holograms, dream manipulation, artificial emotions, induced fear, anger, shame, joy, hate, or sadness, sudden unexpected sexual arousal, genital manipulation, induced smells, sudden extreme mood swings, depression, or euphoria, induced pleasure, aversion reactions towards people or objects, making you say things, forced speech, General behavior, control in some situations. Manipulation of memory, forgetting, remembering, screen memories. 
Remote steering of eye movements, remote steering of body movements or motor control, virtual reality experiences while awake. And that was all 45 different symptoms associated with these technologies. And uh, those are some concerning things, aren't they, folks? Uh, so you can see where uh, some of this could potentially uh, maybe be a feasible thing with uh, some of the technologies that have been disclosed and are on the record as having existed here. Uh, so that being the case, uh, let's get to the summary here of uh, what the author of the paper wants us to see. So it says, all victims claimed that psychiatric treatment did not have any therapeutic effect. Well, when they're talking about all of these different symptoms and stuff they experienced, and they're saying psychiatric treatment did not have any effect, you have to wonder, is there something more going on? As I'm sure probably the victims of this would wonder, or the, the victims, the people that claim they're victims of this. Uh, so let's read on here. So Leo Mavis's case summary of mind control abuse and torture. So Leo Mavis is a Chinese citizen born and raised in China who was first attacked in December 2001 when she was studying for a master's degree in Australia. At the time, she was unfamiliar with remote electromagnetic weapons, which can control thinking, behavior, emotions, or decision-making by attacking the brain and nervous system. Eventually, she would come to learn of these technologies that are being secretly used or covered by governments worldwide to control and harass the populace. Noticeable effects started with some noises, or whispering voices, which she heard from the floor below her or from the neighbor's houses. The other people who lived in the same house could not hear them. Soon she started to experience a wide variety of symptoms. Majority of the symptoms were pain all over the body, stomach pain, toothaches, headaches, involuntary hand tremors, inability to stand firmly on her legs, alternation of cold and hot sensations, excessive perspiration, high fevers, constipation, fascia and incontinence, sexual harassment, sleep deprivation, dream manipulation, artificial emotions, induced fear, anger, shame, joy, hate, sadness, and manipulation of memory, forgetting, remembering, screen memories. Torturers also can make her say things, forced speech. All those symptoms would disappear without any medical treatment, or sometimes a pain would persist, even if she had strong medication. She was like a, a little trapped marionette being controlled by invisible strings. Some unknown people held the strings and controlled her actions, speaking, walking, eating, sleeping, and even her thoughts and emotions. On April 5, 2002, she left Australia and went to Hong Kong, Thailand, Shanghai, and New Zealand, but could not escape the harassment and torture. When she was in Hong Kong, her brain was controlled by voice-to-skull and remote electromagnetic mind control technologies, and she was taken into the U.S. Embassy in Hong Kong. It was strange that there were so many security guards outside the U.S. Embassy, but nobody stopped her or asked her anything. During the past years, Soleil Mavis worked hard to expose mind control technologies and their torturous abuses and urges governments worldwide to investigate and halt these egregious violations of human rights. She wrote her book, Twelve Years in the Grave, Mind Control with Electromagnetic Spectrums, The Invisible Modern Concentration Camp, to let the public know details of her story. She and other victims in her network have started a con concerted campaign against secret mind control weapons abuse and torture.
They are demanding an international investigation into these crimes, which constitute immense violations of the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Provided the fact that her brain was remotely controlled by voice-to-skull and electromagnetic mind-control technologies, and she was taken into the U.S. Embassy in Hong Kong, she urges the U.S. government to investigate her case. She also requires the cooperation and support of the governments of Australia and China and requests assistance from the United Nations and other governments in investigating her case. She wishes the public help her to urge governments to take immediate actions. Uh, so, I'm going to pause for a second. So this woman is making claims that she was tortured by these weapons uh, to various degrees here and that she sought help at the U.S. Embassy and uh, is is one of the activists that's trying to uh, get governments worldwide to investigate these claims and these technologies and put a stop to them. That's the backstory about who the woman is who wrote this, but uh, whether you believe her story or not, the documentations that she lists here of some of these actual technologies are the important thing to keep in mind. They're out there. These technologies exist. They're acknowledged. They're in the public domain. You could, you could look up these things yourself and find these are very real technologies, folks. Electronic mind control is not fiction, okay? It's not conspiracy theory. It's not tinfoil hat nutters out there running around uh, claiming these things with no backing. These are real technologies. They exist. Let's read the conclusions here. Conclusions. It can be seen that mind control weapons are well developed and they are being used secretly to torture and harass innocent citizens. Many victims are currently working in conjunction with Sully Mavis to start a worldwide campaign against secret mind control weapons abuse and torture. In this research, the following conclusions were reached. Number one, many countries have developed various types of mind control methods, drugs, microchips, nanotechnologies, and electromagnetic waves. Could these governments also introduce legislation to regulate the use of such weapons? Number two, Effective laws and other measures from our governments need to be enhanced to prevent the misuse of such weapons. Number three, in the event of misuse of such weapons, government intervention is required to protect the victims and prosecute torturers to the fullest extent of the law. It is hoped that this paper will bring about public awareness and solutions to mind control weapons abuse and torture. All right, and that is the author's conclusion on this. Uh, I would say, folks... Uh, I think her cries are falling on deaf ears because when you're trying to mandate governments to look into this and make laws and legislation about this and do something about it, when they are the ones that are wielding this weapon against the public, that's not going to happen. And all that's going to happen is you're going to be uh, portrayed in the public view as a nutter because that's how these governments and uh, their many affiliates uh, in the intelligence agencies and stuff like that will try to bring across the viewpoints of these people that are claiming to be victims of these technologies. They'll try to make them look like total nut jobs and claim there's nothing to it and, and sweep it all under the rug because, let's, let's face it, government programs fund these technologies. They're not going to stop them from going on. And even if they do have the intention to look into these things and try to investigate, once they hit that need-to-know level of security clearance, they're not going to get any further than that. They'll be told, national security, you don't have need-to-know. This is classified. This is a high-level classification. Uh, you're not getting anything. 
So there's no more information available. So there's not going to be much of anything they can do about it. Uh, I think this woman had good intentions and is trying to go through uh, what could be considered proper channels to try to get help for these situations and bring awareness to this. But largely, I think if you're going to government agency to try to report government agency to government agency uh, for doing these things, you're going to get nowhere right? Uh, Like I said earlier, it's kind of like asking the fox to help out at the hen house, isn't it? Uh, So you're you're not going to get anywhere with this. But uh, she did put together some good documentation of many of these technologies, and it's important we get those out there in the open so people could realize this is a real thing. There's a real trail that you could trace these technologies to. So that being the case, we could bring awareness of the existence of these things. Now, it's debatable as to how they're being used or misused by by who? By people in intelligence agencies, per se, or, uh, you know, in some other aspect. Who's wielding these things? Well, there's no definitive proof as to who that is, but we do know these projects are funded by government agency and by government monies, So does this fall under the umbrella of being state-sponsored, so to say? I would say yes, largely it does, especially when you have an agency like DARPA involved in it all. So that being the case, that's who quarterbacks this whole thing. The bottom line here, the conclusion of all of this, folks, is mind control technologies, electronic mind control technologies, they're a real thing. They need to be taken seriously. They need to be studied a little further. And I hope this was a good 101 kind of breakdown of electronic mind control technologies. They are a real threat to people in all walks of life. So when you keep in mind, these things can be used and abused by somebody who can wield them against another. Then you have to step back and and maybe have a little concern for this and maybe try to figure out what is a good approach for trying to address these topics. Is there some type of regulatory uh, agency needed for this stuff? Do we need to implement some type of uh, laws or legislation preventing this? And would it help? That, that's the whole point. Would it help? How, would we, how do we recognize these things? There's some things we could do to maybe help ourselves with a lot of these and and some of it would have to do with turning off the wi-fi you know what i mean or getting back out into nature get away from the big city centers where a lot of these cell towers and things like that are separate from technology for a while and you could be less impacted by these things that's the bottom line here just bringing awareness to this idea that electronic mind control technologies exist and that the concept of the quote-unquote targeted individual is a real phenomenon. There are those out there, I'm sure, who are legitimately targeted by these technologies. And that's not to say that everybody that comes forward and claims to be such is so. There's other things that go on with a lot of these ideas. By and large, we can't throw this stuff on the back burner. We need to pay attention to what's going on, especially with the state of technology today, and how we're being steered into this electronic control grid, this surveillance grid. And we need to understand, they're trying to utilize some of these technology concepts to uh, read our thoughts and predict our thoughts. They have all these sophisticated algorithms that can predict our future behaviors. And if they could actually get into your mind 
and not just based upon the uh, physical outward appearance of your behaviors, if they could actually get into your mind and predict what you're going to think next, this, this is a very concerning type of technology. And the implications are, are very real here. They're able to do certain things in certain ways, but uh, you could argue all day long about uh, what's the nature of consciousness and how does it relate to mind, and does mind really relate simply to the brain and these physiological aspects of things? And if you look at it philosophically, there's all different avenues of thought that could go on with this. Uh, the point is, though, these people like to use these type of methods to quantify everything, and if they could do so with a certain degree of accuracy and success, then they could wield this technology in a very usable way, and that's largely what's going on. So regardless of the semantics of it all, they are attempting to do that, and they have succeeded to some degree in many of these applications of things because they can even affect your mood and your your thoughts and stuff with these technologies. So uh, that being the case, we need to be mindful and we need to keep an eye on this. Everybody should be a little bit concerned about this. They know mind control methodologies and could wield them in certain ways. The more aware we are of these things, the more we could fight back against them. And that's why it's important to allow people the awareness of this stuff. Uh, show them these things. To say, hey, this is a very real technology. This is a very real technique. They've used it against you. And you could demonstrate different ways that it's been done. This stuff exists. It's a real thing. Be aware of it. And the more aware of it you are, the less it can affect you. And that's the bottom line here. So anyway, folks, that's my uh, 101 dive into electronic mind control for tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for tuning. Come with me.